Hi team! In this episode of the Cub Appropriate Podcast, I was stoked to be able to chat with my good buddy Joe Rogerster, known as Joe Keto. Joe is involved with a network marketing company called Prove It, and I had always had a lot of resistance to network marketing, predominantly because of pushy sales tactics, people who didn't know what they were talking about, and most importantly, because a lot of the products out there are crap and they're overpriced. I was very impressed when I met Joe because he took a real product-first approach to what he was doing. And so he was pretty comfortable with me trying the product, using it with a few clients, seeing some great results with a number of clients, particularly those with traumatic brain injuries and those wanting to improve their mood and cognition, uh, boosting ketones for fuel uh, in people who were on ketogenic diets. So there was a lot of application and I soon realized the benefits of these emerging ketone supplements uh, several years ago. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this little chat with myself and Joe Keto. If you are interested in trying exogenous ketones, if you're in North America or Australia, you can just go to cliffharvey.proveitnow.com or email us if you're having any trouble finding that. And if you're in New Zealand, just go to nutritionstore.online and contact, contact us and we can sort you out with ketones here. Welcome to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. Welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure today to have with me my good buddy Joe Rogerster, known as Joe Keto. As is usual, I, I have my little origin story about Joe. Uh, we met several years ago. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual acquaintance, uh, or mutual buddy, I should say, Damiano Nicolacci. You won't like me calling him an acquaintance, uh, through our other good friend, Brock Haddon. And uh, it was really around the time that exogenous ketones were only just starting to enter Australasia. And I had obviously heard about exogenous ketones through my work and through my uh, clinical work and research, but there wasn't really anything out there yet. And so as Joe, I'm sure will, will agree, I was pretty cynical initially or pretty skeptical, I should say about, you know, the, the, the product and whether it would actually be as effective as was claimed. Uh, I, I was obviously very interested in trying it clinically, but I, I went in very much, you know, trepidously. I wanted to try things out for myself and with some clients. And I was very surprised at the effect we got and the, the benefits we got, particularly with my brain injury patients back in, in those days. And so since then, obviously, Joe and I have done a lot of work together. We've, um, you know, collaborated on a lot of, of ketone projects. And Joe's been nice enough to have me over to, to Aussie and other places to do some speaking on ketones and exogenous ketones. So welcome, Joe. Uh, it's it's absolutely great to have you on my podcast because you've had me on plenty of your webinars. I know, man. I'm uh, I'm honored to uh, that you asked. And uh, yeah, it's very cool to be on the other end of the microphone. Thanks, buddy. So you're obviously very well known now in this part of the world for you know, practically introducing ketones to, to Australasia. I know that you weren't the only one, but you're certainly one of the prime movers there in introducing ketones and exogenous ketones to Australasia. But what was your background initially? I mean, did you study sports science or physiology or, you know, health? How did you become involved in this business of health? Well, you know what? I was uh, in my 
late teens and 20s, I was the uh, the ultimate gym rat um, and taking in every single possibly sup- supplement that has ever been invented, um, every type of testosterone booster, uh, you know, whey protein shake, pre-workout. Um, I used to stack caffeine and ephedrine and aspirin, just like crazy, uneducated stuff, reading in the, you know, in the magazines because there wasn't internet then. Um, and, uh, and by the time I'd hit about 35 and when I, you know, kind of hit an office job, I turned into a not working out fat guy and, <laughs> and so much so like, and I started looking for solutions. I read, we were living in the United States from at that point and from Canada, but we had moved to the States. So, um, I read some stuff. I think I saw the movie food Inc and then read the book food Inc and began to become very, uh, disenchanted with the entire food industry, when you start to read about some of the things and the, the sports nutrition world, um, when you find out that probably a lot of the things they were telling me to do is why I felt so fat, sick and tired at 35 years old. Yeah. And you know, I, I couldn't do a squat. I had inflammation in all my knees. I couldn't run around the block. So as I started to learn about real food um, and, uh, you know, discovered CrossFit and functional movement and uh, diet you know, basically a real food diet and started to feel better. And then I felt like I needed to, at that point we moved over to Australia and I had a chance to um, kind of reinvent myself because we had moved over on, on my wife's uh, work. So I uh, dedicated my life to teaching other people how to avoid some of the marketing BS and um, and how to kind of follow a diet that's really a long-term way of eating. So how did you become involved with exogenous ketones because you must have been a, a really early adopter i mean you you knew about the fact that these were out in the retail space before i did and i'm a ketone researcher right yeah the um i'd i'd become a nutritional therapist and we had i had initially started looking at bringing in product or bringing in our own product line into australia because i didn't feel like there was anything really good in the marketplace over here at the time six years ago and uh and then realized how difficult that can be to start up a nutrition company you know this well um and uh and then you know look to outsource it to just really good third-party providers so in that we did a lot of work with um uh, products coming out of the states and coming out of europe and trying to find the best so we could provide a really elite brand and so somebody a doctor friend of mine said you got to take a look at this and literally asked me what do you know about ketones and ketosis and I said, yeah, it's that Atkins thing that nobody can do, right? Because I really <laughs> like things that actually people can do. And showed me a, a, a cartoon video. And uh, and when I saw it, it was so unbelievable with my basic knowledge of chemistry, biology, and, you know, and basic science that, you know, you could get into ketosis within 60 minutes. That was the initial thing. And I thought, no way does that work. And this is the biggest load of crap that I've ever heard coming out of America. So um, I, I literally was inspired to buy it. So we brought some over. It took like three weeks to get it over from the States so that I could put it into my body, do all sorts of blood tests, um, and then be able to tell everybody why to never take it. And so what did, and you, I, what, what did you notice originally? Like what was your aha moment when you started taking the product? Well, literally like three days in and we, so we got it. We had been doing a ton of research because after you see that cartoon video, then I got introduced to, uh, you know, now a mutual friend of ours and mentor of ours, Dom Diagostino. And you find out that he created it and he's, you know, really like one of the pioneers of modern day keto research um, and really one of the guys pushing forward. And then you find out all the other things that this actual ketone molecule can do for you. So I was getting excited about it and I was talking to people about it and they were all excited about it. It was like, it was very much a, that doesn't work, but if it did, that'd be awesome conversation yeah. with everybody in the keto world that knew about it. And, uh, but then three days in to it and not changing anything else, I, my brain was lit up and, uh, and I, I'd, I'd been very healthy, right? Like mm -hmm. I followed a very paleo alkaline esque diet, you know, and, but I still, I still yawned. Right. And uh, throughout the day, and I still got that carby dip and stuff like that and not the best energy that I wanted. But I remember my wife saying to me, I was saying, you know, hey, I'm going to disprove this. I'm going to disprove this. And she said, Joe, you've been talking on the phone to people about ketones for 18 hours. <laughs> and it, it was it was like, you know, I didn't realize the brain fog I had until it was gone. 
and then uh and then other but the the big thing was other people having that experience and my wife had an incredible experience with it she's got uh an autoimmune condition um basically the symptoms of it are chronic fatigue and weight gain and um anxiety and stress and stuff like that and she just had a phenomenal result and then once you start to see people you care about getting these kind of results you start to get pretty passionate about it so the the there's obviously ketones, the, the product, you know, exogenous ketones. Um, and I guess I should disclose my conflict of interest. Now, I, once I was introduced to uh, the, the Prove It product by, by Ujo, uh, we obviously started using that in the clinic and still use it now for a bunch of reasons. I think it's the best product out there. So, uh, you know, everyone's aware of that, I'm sure. But it, I think it's important to, to make clear because I know there's going to be a lot of naysayers listening to this who are saying, yeah, but you can't get into ketosis in... 60 minutes and i think it's important here to draw a distinction between nutritional ketosis proper where the body is endogenously or internally producing ketones that are consistent with what we call ketosis versus having the level of ketonemia or ketones in the blood that are the same basically consistent with nutritional ketosis so that's what people are talking about when they say they can get into ketosis in 60 minutes now a lot of the criticism would be then that well it's not the same you're not getting the same adaptations you're not getting the same fat adaptation you're not getting the same effects to which i would say well you are actually getting the effects of beta hydroxybutyrate because you have to right you, you can't not get the effects of beta hydroxybutyrate when it's in the blood and so those things you mentioned uh you know improved mood and cognition focus and clarity those types of things and a whole bunch i guess of spin-off benefits from that including, you know, improves satiety, reduce cravings, reduce hunger, stuff like that, they are going to occur. And so there is going to be benefit there. And this is why I was so interested in looking at the product initially, because I could see immediately that there were patients of mine that could benefit because it can be quite difficult sometimes to, to, to get into ketosis, to stay in ketosis, or in, in certain clinical situations, to have the levels of ketosis that are most conducive to improvement. So there we're thinking about things like neurodegenerative disorders, epilepsy, and like I mentioned, particularly my traumatic brain injury patients. Um, so, so do you think that's a fair sort of summary of the, the, the subtle difference between nutritional ketosis versus the, I guess, therapeutic ketosis that we get from exogenous ketones? Yeah, it's, uh, that's the initial uh, knee-jerk reaction from anybody that knows about uh, ketosis and, and knows about any type of uh, science behind it is is that exact um, distinction, ketosis and ketogenesis, Yeah. right? And then once we can move past that, and that's, you know, so, you know, we can very quickly move people past that by just having a discussion like we just did. I think, you know, we probably had the discussion back then, you knew a little bit more about it, but with most people, that's how it starts. Yep. And then the, the conversation moves forward to, okay, is it the same? Well, you know what it is. I mean, the ketone molecule is bioidentical to the molecule that our body produces in this product in some of the other products on the market they have a mix of both isomers but in this one bioidentical so yes you are going to get those benefits and then we can only revert back to um you know the anecdotal evidence that we're seeing but then also that it's now being backed by science as more and more research comes out about this yeah we had an interesting finding i'm not sure if i've um explained this to you yet because it's a fairly recent thing that came together when we were summarizing some of our research we had a pretty interesting finding because we we did an mct study several years ago it was probably four years ago now actually uh, which was published a couple of years ago and we saw an association between ketone levels and improvements in mood and reductions and symptoms of what people call keto flu and obviously you know i i've done two-thirds of the research i guess on on keto flu that's out there in the literature at the moment and it, that was an interesting finding. And we tried to back that up several years later with a study comparing three different low-carb diets, one being a true ketogenic diet and the other ones being non-keto low-carb diets to see if we could see that same association between ketones and mood and symptoms of um, keto flu. And we didn't really see the same association. But interestingly, the people on the ketogenic diet were averaging around, I think, 0.9 millimoles of beta-hydroxybutyrate. So to put that into context for people who don't really know much about ketosis, ketosis we consider to be greater than 0.5. 
they were about 0.9, which is pretty standard for a keto diet. However, in the first study, the MCT supplemented group were about 1.4 millimoles. The non-supplemented group, eating the same amount of calories and on a very strict ketogenic diet, were about 0.9. So we're basically seeing here that probably there's a tipping point at which people see the most benefit. And I've always said it doesn't matter too much. 0.5 to 1.5 doesn't really matter. But if people are wanting drastic improvements in cognition and mood and seeing you know, reduced symptoms of any of those symptoms of supposed keto flu that are out there, then maybe there is a bit of a tipping point over say one millimole or 1.1, 1.2. So perhaps there is a role there for, for boosting uh, even when people are in ketosis proper. Yeah, I think that they're starting to talk more and more about that, about that fast boost and how it's working with um, BDNF and the brain. Um, and because that's one thing about exogenous ketones, like you can't, your body can't produce ketones that fast to my knowledge, is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a process. You, you're continually, uh, you're continually producing them, and that's another thing that people understand and uh, misunderstand, I should say. And we've talked about a lot is people think ketosis is an on-off switch, but it's not. It's a spectrum, and it really depends on what your level of carbohydrate restriction is. Now, there's going to be flaws within that as well, because if you don't want to, and I wouldn't suggest that you do, if you don't want to drastically limit your veggies or you know not have any berries and those other nutrient dense foods. You can absolutely achieve ketosis, there's no doubt, and you can actually achieve relatively deep ketosis. But if you want to get a little bit more, you've only got two options, really. You either restrict a lot more or you fast a lot more, which may not be ideal for some people as well. Fasting is great, as we know, but it, uh, you know, past the point, it can still be detrimental. Or you can use things to boost ketones, like obviously MCTs, which encourage ketogenesis, or exogenous ketones, which give you an immediate boost in ketones. Yeah, correct. And so, I mean, what do you think about that? Like the, uh, to me, like, you know, if I can have more ketones available, I know all of the things that ketones are proven to do from an anti-inflammatory signaling thing from, a, you know, everything that it's doing with the brain once it, you know, crosses the blood brain barrier. And now that they prove the brain runs better on ketones, if we have ways to get more of this molecule into our blood, I got to think that that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I certainly think it's a tool. And as you know, I, I'm a, big believer in looking at exogenous ketones as a tool, you know, and so whether or not someone is on a, a very strict keto diet or maybe a modified keto diet, maybe they're not even on a keto diet per se, they're on a lower carb diet, where they would benefit from a boost in ketones, you know, it, it makes sense. It's itself, it's self-descripting self really that they will basically get a, a benefit from an increase in beta-hydroxybutyrate from taking ketones. Now, the, the quickest way to do that is obviously to take exogenous ketone supplements. And I think what we're seeing now is a really big shift in perception from, you know, this idea that if you're going to be a fat-adapted athlete or you're going to be a fat-adapted person and you're going to have some degree of keto adaptation, you've got to be on a really strict old-school epilepsy-style keto diet and you can never do anything else outside of that. We're really starting to see now that people can be metabolically flexible. They can have a varied carbohydrate intake, depending on who they are, what they're doing, you know, what level of ketosis they want to have, if any. And they can also use mixed fueling. And you know, we're seeing that now in in athletes like Dan Plews, uh, you know, other sort of biohackers like Paul Cadman and others who I've interviewed on this podcast. It's really interesting because we're starting to see that you know what I call that carb appropriate spectrum is also encompassing what I've gone on to call keto appropriate because they overlap and you can get benefit from all these types of fuels if your body is being efficient in its use. Yeah, it really is a uh, an evolution, right? Because, like, I mean, do you like, and you've been around in the industry for a long time, uh, a really long time, and do you, uh, like, is this uh, like when creatine came in, right? Before creatine, there was no way to get it into a supplement uh, form. And then once you could have it as a supplement form, then there was a bit of an evolution, a bit of a, a knowledge gain, and then it very much became a mainstream thing. Is that what's going on here? I think so. And the, the difference is that 
creatine, apart from a little bit of fear that some people had that they would, you know, ridiculous stuff, that they would test positive for a drug test or that it would, you know, destroy their kidneys or something, silly stuff that was pretty much put to bed very quickly. I think the difference is there is still a huge battle between high carb, low fat and low carb, high fat. And there is fear of ketosis in general. Now, as that wanes, I think we're going to see a pretty big shift because if anything, it's interesting because I, I still think that performance wise, if someone wants an immediate boost to performance, and you may disagree, but there is nothing more powerful as a legal supplement than creatine. But that's about strength and power. And there's other benefits as well, cognitive benefits and things like that. But I almost see that the application of ketones is, is quite different and it possibly even has a broader application. Yeah. Now, it's not going to cure anything, you know, and it's not going to cure anything straight off the bat. But as an adjunct, as a tool, it's very interesting. And I think the application for it, like the things I said, you know, neurogenerative disorders, um, obviously epilepsy. I mean, the, the fact that exogenous ketones aren't used more for epilepsy right now is, is crazy to me. You know, because the, the common retort is, well, to get your ketone levels that high, the diet is need, needs to be so restrictive that people can't stick to it. So instead, we'll put them on drugs. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hold on, we have supplemental methods now where someone can be on a pretty cool nutrient-dense modified keto diet and still get all those benefits. Yeah, I, I think that we're around the corner from all that stuff. I mean, with, um, you know, organizations like the Charlie Foundation in the States and more and more people coming out and getting behind exogenous ketones, right? Like, you know, we've just talked about it. Like, you know, the scientific advisory board is Dr. Jeff Volick now, and that's just going to bring so much weight to the conversation. Um, and Dr. Uh, Colin Champ and Dr. Ken Ford, all these big people getting behind it um, that have a lot of clout in the, in the U.S. so that people are opening up their minds to it. Remember, this has been such an evolution over the uh, the past three years. Like September 2015, the first exogenous ketone um, was released onto the market. And right. um, and at that point, there was one study out that said um, taking exogenous ketones, beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, you know, bound with minerals and MCTs can get you into uh, a state of ketosis. Right. And that was it. And then everybody still at that point, you know, thought uh, the brain needed, uh, you know, couldn't run on ketones, all that kind of stuff. And since then, now, you know, Dr. Stephen Cunane has, you know, got proof of concept that the brain runs better on ketones. Um, we've seen all sorts of studies showing what exogenous ketones are doing. All the studies that are coming out are coming out usually with, um, you know, a keto diet, uh, uh, adding in MCT, adding in MCT and exogenous ketones and adding in exogenous ketones. And these are all the test measures. Yeah. So it's just now like, and the, I mean, the anecdotal evidence that we're seeing, you can't deny. I mean, we're working with um, kids over here uh, that have uh, pediatric epilepsy, like, you know, um, all sorts of great things and seeing awesome, awesome anecdotal results. So Joe, does that mean that you, did you follow a keto diet or do you have sort of a modified approach? How does that all work for, for you? Yeah, I follow a very carb appropriate diet. Now, um, uh, carb appropriate level for me is, uh, yeah, I love that term. Um, and I'm really pushing that forward because that's what I want from a nutritional therapy standpoint and from a health tons of people standpoint. That's what I want people to get their head around is exactly what you said, right? We don't have to follow this crazy archaic keto diet anymore to have a really efficient fuel, yeah. right? I don't think for like, I, I think that the verdict's in on ketones, right? It's like... Apples to apples, uh, carbs versus ketones, ketones from an efficiency standpoint win for basic human function, survival, longevity, all type of stuff. There's a need for both of them. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> no problem. The, uh, no, absolutely. Right. Um, and so uh, but now now that we can get the benefits of these ketones, now everybody can do it. And here's what I like. Right. The I. For my diet, when I was told to start this, I was told not to change anything. So I was following my paleo diet. Paleo diet. I was working with a guy that was trained by Charles Poliquin, very been in ketosis for 10 years before he ever saw exogenous ketones. He said, feel what it feels like to have carbs and ketones in your body at the same time before you make any change. 
Yeah. And so that's what I did. Um, but you know what? I was after about a week, I was feeling so good that I, for the first time in my life, tried to intermittent fast. And then I felt great. And, um, and then, you know, I, I got into ketosis very quickly. I didn't feel the keto flu. Um, and I have been two and a half years since most days intermittent fasting, you know, I, for the past year, I've been doing monthly extended fastings and I'm mostly in ketosis, but I never worry if I want to go out and have a bunch of glasses of wine and a big ice cream sundae. Yeah. And I, um, I don't generally feel great. Um, just having sweet potatoes and quinoa or something like that. So I don't make a habit of doing it because the carb appropriate level for me is to go very low carbohydrates. Yeah. Right. And then to not worry about it when I want to splurge on some sugary crap. Yeah. That, that's a really good point that I think a, a lot of people can benefit from. I, I think about that because I, I, as you know, I do a very similar thing. I'm typically pretty low carb. Well, low carb, like no carb pretty much apart from veggies and berries and things through, through the week yeah. typically. Um, but we will, you know, have the odd treat in the weekend and it's not a lot, but it might be, you know, one savory meal and maybe one sweet treat a week. And the way I look at it is area under the curve. It's that average amount of carbohydrate you're taking in over a long time is still very minimal. And it's, as you say, it's appropriate and it's appropriate to your needs. Now, I, I think that people can benefit from that approach, which is basically freedom within structure. Because if you have a structure whereby your your mindset is, these are the compendium of foods that I'm going to eat. They're natural, they're whole, they're unprocessed. And on the main, for a lot of people, I think low carb is going to be the way to go. So it's a compendium of low carb foods that are natural and unprocessed. But then if you only do that, you're going to fall off the wagon because no one can be 100% compliant from now until the day they kick it because it just doesn't work. But what's being found more and more in the research is because adherence is the, the biggest problem with nutrition, where people have a structure that is very simple and often abstinence is easier than moderation, but they have short periods in which they're allowed to have absolute freedom, that's basically the, the, the best sort of win-win situation. Yeah, look, I think the, you know, the failure of the of the diet industry, which I hate is um, pigeonholing people into one thing. Um, they traditionally, you know, is not something that they can do long term. So they they fall off the wagon, they feel bad, then this mindset thing comes into play. They think that they can't do it. They're a failure again. And then the whole cycle goes on over and over again. Even if they're a success, you know, they're doing something where they're um, depleting their muscle mass, slowing down their metabolism. And then when they go back to doing what they were going to do before, because it's not a long-term solution, then they gain the weight back faster. Exactly. Um, feels, you know, it's a, it's a cyclical thing and just uh, escalates in frustration and, uh, and stress and all the, uh, the horrible things that go along with that. Yeah. So, I mean, given that there, there are, there, there's a number of really, I think, exciting things happening in nutrition at the moment from, you know, interesting things like exogenous ketones through to, a greater focus, I think, on on the mind-body connection and behaviors and how we can exercise habit to get better results, but also going beyond that into really what improves our, our own individual human potential the most. You know, I think there's a really interesting idea that I've been playing around with lately, and I really want to push some research back into the mind-body space where I've done a lot of my um, former research in, in clinical practice, which is that all of the things we do from eating well to supplementing to exercising and, and trying to sleep better, sleep hygiene, those types of things, they're all the key aspects of health, but they only provide the foundation. And there's actually something more than that, which is the, the next step. And that's where we really begin to exercise our own individual human potential. And that to me is more about passion and purpose and creativity and those types of things. So, you know, there's a lot exciting happening. And what do you think is going to be, what do you think is, are going to be some of the most exciting things that are happening in nutrition and health in the next, say, five years? Well, I think that what we're at is like the end of an evolutionary cycle about this way of eating concept, right? 
we've been through all the uh, the decades of, of bullshit, right? Um, you know, and in the eating six times a day and all that kind of stuff, and people are cons- are confused. Um, they don't know what to do. They're getting all sorts of misinformation and disinformation from the diet industry, but everything is pointing in one direction. And that is, you know, really those words, you know, behind you, the carb appropriate diet and a way of really kind of um, cutting through um, the crap and giving people a real clear focus that it's, it really doesn't have to be, you know, if you feel good eating um, uh, a very uh, a high fat diet, that's what you can do. Very low carbs. If you need to be a little bit higher on the carbohydrate spectrum, then that's what you can do. We've certainly seen the fact that, you know, even the food industry, which I uh, normally dislike, the fact that we've had some sugar replacements that don't spike blood sugars and that are actually have some healthy side effects for you has made it so that people can have their sweet treats now. Yeah. And what all that means, I mean, like a, a lot of your audience, I'm sure, is at, a, at some point in a journey on their knowledge about ketones from the very big experts to the people that have been following you for a while and have getting great uh, advice and knowing more about what this actually is far beyond the keto diet. Yeah. Right. Um, And so to the top, you know, experts, those ones that are ready to take their human performance to a next level, this is that biohacking thing for people that are on the the middle point in the journey when they're learning how to make a keto lifestyle or a carb appropriate lifestyle work for them. This is going to be this, this awesome tool. And then for the, it's the people that are at the far end of that spectrum that are just getting started, that they're the ones that are out there waiting around in the muck, trying to figure it out. Maybe they've even heard of keto and they are on to their dirty keto Facebook group where they're learning about eating cheese and bacon and all the wonderful recipes you can make with that. And they think that it's a cheese, bacon, fat bomb diet, right? They're going to falter and drop off and perhaps be turned off of a carb appropriate lifestyle. Yeah. With all of the knowledge, like, you know, We've been over to, uh, and I can't wait till you go over to one as well, but to these keto academies in the United States where it's literally, you know, from, uh, you know, Jeff Bullock to NASA astronauts to, um, you know, the people talking about PTSD, every area of metabolic um, neurological health, you know, Mary Newport and her research on Alzheimer's and all this stuff, all getting on stage to talk about why they're so excited about ketones. I, I still remember... Uh, Dr. Stephen Cunane showing his brain scans of people, you know, on a carbohydrate based diet based a ketone uh, fueled diet. And it was incredible. Mm. And this is a we're bearing witness to these advances in our, our knowledge. So as that permeates more into humans brains, that's going to, you know, um, allow your knowledge to seep more into people's brains as well, because what I like about how you portray this is you take it out of the, you know, the super science speak. And even though you know that side of it, bring it into terms that people can understand. I think there needs to be a bit more pragmatism and and you you make a couple of really important points. And one of those is that, and I've spoken about this a lot with, um, you know, my colleagues, people like Eric Helms and whatnot, who are typically more, they would probably admit more carb biased. But a lot of what we hear in nutrition, even nutrition for health, is actually coming from experts in orthodox sport nutrition. You know, they're people who are focused on performance. And there, I would still say that the results in terms of, you know, keto versus high carb, you know, all the various spectrum between that is somewhat equivocal, right? Because some athletes thrive on high carb and some on low carb and i think we're only now starting to really broach metabolic flexibility and you know mixed fueling because people think if you're a keto athlete you have to basically be keto all the time and you can't have any carbs during training or or events and that's obviously rubbish because all the keto athletes out there basically live low so they can be more fat adapted but still use mixed fueling strategies but a lot of what's seeping through into the, the the public health guidelines and into the mainstream is these science jerks out there who are focused on performance saying, hey, there's not a lot of benefit here, but they're forgetting that there are evidence-based applications for low-carb and keto. And there's no doubt about that, you know, for things like neurodegenerative disorders, for diabetes, you know, it's the, it's the prime example. People say, well, any good natural unprocessed diet 
has a really good preventative effect on development of type 2 diabetes. And they're right. They're correct. However, once someone has metabolic syndrome, once someone's on the path to diabetes, keto and low carb kicks the crap out of any other diet for treating it. You know, they're, they're two different things. And so we need to look at the differences between nutrition for performance, which can be quite varied, and the application of nutrition for particular disorders, which is often actually a little bit more specific in terms of what is going to give the best treatment outcome for most people most of the time. And so um, the, the other aspect of what you were saying before is sort of alluding to this idea of outcomes-based nutrition. You know, it, it's, it's ridiculous to say, well, the best diet or the best supplement is X or Y, because there is no best. It depends on what you're, you're trying to achieve. And so, for example, if someone is looking to lose body fat, then it's probably fair to say that the evidence points toward low carb being more effective for loss of body fat than high carb, low fat. You know, that, that's clear. However, if you're looking to put on a maximum amount of muscle, there's certainly a, a lot of evidence which shows that you should, at that point, add some carbs back into your diet. And this speaks again to the idea of being carb appropriate. What are you trying to achieve? And it doesn't mean that you have to be high carb, low fat. It just means, hey, you're probably going to benefit from it. Some increased calories, some increased carbs, you know, and the rest. So outcomes-based nutrition is really important because it adds pragmatism to the field instead of people just arguing over what amounts to stupid shit, really. Yeah, and imagine if you start adding in those carbs back and you do want to put on that muscle mass, but then you're also now able to add in ketones from a supplement form and help with the protein synthesis and help with, um, you know, the uh, repair and recovery from your workout so you can bounce back faster, train harder, break down muscle better, and then have it recover faster as well. Well, and, and people will hear that and they'll say, that's crazy because if you've got glucose and ketones in your blood together, you're suddenly going to blow up or something, right? People have this idea that something's going to combust. But we can see already in the, in the research emerging that the application of both ketones and carbs together has some pretty interesting ramifications, you know, from the things you mentioned through to increased um, insulin sensitivity and glycogen repletion rates and things like that. So that's kind of cool. But we need to take a step back and look at the physiology too. If you're on a non-keto, low-carb diet, your ketones are going to be higher than if you're on a high-carb, low-fat diet. And if you're on a true keto, very low-carb diet, they're going to be even higher still. So that shows that there's a spectrum and you have glucose in your blood. It's not like you go into ketosis and suddenly you've got no blood glucose. If that happened, you'd die, right? Because you need to sustain a certain amount of blood glucose at around, let's say, zero, uh, sorry, four, four to five-odd millimoles to preserve proper blood volume and to supply the fuel that red blood cells use because they can't use ketones or fatty acids. And so there's a certain amount of glucose that the body will create and it will require. But that in itself is a proof that you can use both because you have to. You know, we, we never use one sole fuel source for everything that we're doing at one particular moment. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And that's, so this is the evolutionary cycle of our, of our knowledge, right? People, it took a while for them to get uh, the idea that an exogenous ketone could even exist. And now, um, you know, as everybody gets their heads around this, then there'll be more and more support. And like, I, you know, I, I think you're seeing it in uh, the popularity of the keto diet, right? And that's going to be there for a long time because the, um, that has now been put into terms that the masses can understand. Um, but as, uh, you know, exogenous ketones have been on the market longer, and as people realize what they are, it's going to be more uh, mainframe, you know, from all of the, the branch chain amino acid companies and, uh, you know, supplement companies now that are bringing out keto products, right? They were all the ones, you know, in September 2015 that were saying that's all crap, right? Most of them still didn't know that it wasn't raspberry ketones at that point. Um, and, uh, but now they're all coming out with their own keto, uh, product. And these are big name people, right? These are, you know, kind of, uh, very respected, um, people in the industry. So it's all just a, uh, point in evolutionary challenge. And I love that because what that means to me, it's, you know, we can, the, the super elite athletes, like, you know, 
you, Cliff, and I think a lot of the people that are already discovered ketones and are using it for fueling their bodies, they're like the top 5%. Yeah. Right? All the people that you're talking about that they need ketones for a therapy, that's everybody. Right? That's our epidemics. That's our obesity rates. Those are our people that are going pre-diabetic or diabetic already. And these are the people now that have this, you know, they, they're drinking you know, Pepsi's all day long or whatever, and, uh, and monsters and Red Bull and all this stuff. And now they, they've never tried anything that's ever worked for them. It's all too hard because they don't get it. And, uh, and now they can, you know, shake something up in water and drink it once a day. And they see that as easy. Yeah. And I, I normally hate easy. I hate magic bullets. I hate quick fixes, but this easy does all the things that you've been talking about this whole podcast. And you know, the, increasing insulin sensitivity and leveling out blood sugar. I got to think with all of our blood sugar related problems in our world today is got to be the biggest win in the health and wellness industry that we've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly a tool. And obviously I'm, I'm always quite circumspect about how I frame the use of any supplement really, because obviously I'm a food first kind of guy, but I, I do agree with you that there's a lot of application and that the whole, idea of keto is has shifted you know i was speaking to um a business colleague just yesterday and there's still a perception in some quarters that keto is for the elite you know it's for the extreme so it's mainly going to be aesthetic type athletes you know your bodybuilders or extreme people doing extreme endurance events and things and i just don't see that anymore i mean it's it's so much of a mainstream thing you know, keto is growing faster than I think any other type of diet in terms of awareness. It's not as big yet as plant-based nutrition because plant-based nutrition is, is huge, but it's certainly growing faster and it's now bigger as far as I know than uh, it's bigger than paleo. And so it, it's definitely a, a mainstream thing. And I think that awareness is only going to help because as we become more pragmatic in our view of what keto and low carb and all those various terms are, we can really get down to to some individualization where people work out what what is working best for them and what's going to work best for their future health. Yeah, and this this just starts the conversation, right? Like the the amount of people that have watched the little you know cartoon video um, uh, that uh, that Prove It put out that went, oh my god, I, I maybe I can do that. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, whether they were doing it because they wanted easy, quick fix results. They started watching videos um, about Don Diagostino and Dr. Mary Newport. And, you know, at some point somebody said to him, uh, they asked some question about something and somebody pointed them towards a Cliff Harvey video. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's this bring them to church, baptize them later type of uh, idea that we can start the conversation, bring them in, um, you know, with the easy. And then they stay for the fact that they feel fantastic when they just make some tiny shifts. Yeah. Right. You know, we can cut out sugar after 9 p.m. in probably the bulk of our population's diets and we can just do incredible stuff. If you start stretching that out throughout the day, you know, that's a long term health care. Absolutely. Those small, small changes done consistently are incredibly powerful and people don't necessarily realize that. <clears throat> and I think that, um, you know, that approach you, you talked about, I sort of frame that up. This is actually from one of my former colleagues, someone I respect a lot, come and bought uh, one of the, I think one of the best strength coaches in the world. She's, she's fantastic. Uh, she used to say when I worked with her that we're not here to convince anyone. You know, we just do our job. We do a really fucking good job as strength coaches, putting out great content, you know, good advice. And we're not here to try and sell anyone because you do the work and people get it right. And that's why I think the approach of, which is something I did actually appreciate with some of the people in the early days of when I was first introduced to exogenous ketones is they weren't trying to sell me on a business or on a product. They basically said, hey, you know about this stuff. Here's the product. Give it a crack. Use it with your clients. Let us know what you think. It was that simple. And I think that speaks for itself because if you can use something in that way and see benefits, then there's no need for selling. 
Yeah, and I, I think that that rolls right down from the top. Like literally, the guys that uh, um, you know bought the original patent off of um, Access Global, you know, which came from the research from University of South Florida, they um, they went to University of South Florida to meet Don Diagostino, going to find a fat loss product. Yeah, right, a weight loss product, really, not even a fat loss product, something that burned fat for fuel. That's what they were so. That's what got them to the meeting, and they went in there and Don Diagostino. They they still tell the story said hey listen it'll help do that but take a look at this right and started talking about signaling molecules and introduced them to the research that angela poff was doing and you know all these other people that he was working with around the country and they saw it as something more and they aligned with all those people mm. to just lead with education on this because again back then nobody knew what this was or what it could be and because they did that it is very much an education first type of thing um, they acknowledge because they've, uh, you know, sold billions of dollars of uh, nutraceuticals around the world that nobody wants to be sold to, right? The, the fancy marketing thing is what is, has got us to where we are today, right? If we can just present people with the information, have them do the research, put it in simple terms if people want to not be so sciencey about it, but provide the really scientific, the strong studies for those people that do want to, then people decide for themselves. Yeah. That's yeah, a respectful relationship, I think, between a consumer and uh, and a uh, promoter or something. So you, you've obviously lived that for the last couple of years and you've been, you know, incredibly successful in your business. So what do you see based on your experience as being some of the biggest mistakes that people make in this type of business because you know we're straight up about the fact that this is a it's a social marketing business it's a network marketing style of of getting the product out there something that i was like a lot of people a little bit reluctant to step into uh and then given that there was a product first approach rather than a sales first approach i i was fairly comfortable with that because i think if a product's good a product's good but given your experience over the last couple of years and, you know, throughout your history in business, what do you think are some of the, the, the biggest mistakes that people are making in this industry? Well, uh, from an industry in the whole, there's been a lot of mistakes made. I mean, you know, the, the network marketing, multi-level marketing model is really it's a distribution model. Yeah. Um, just like traditional retail, just like wholesale, just like affiliate models. It's a method of getting products from manufacturer to end consumer. Um, it's just this one utilizes word of mouth marketing, which is the most efficient marketing method on the planet. And it also ties in really well. Like this all started 60 years ago with Amway, right? That was when, that was before the World Wide Web, right? Now it's become an even more efficient business model. Amway, by the way, did $8 billion in their 63rd year last year in sales. So they're still out there doing okay with this business model. Oh, they're huge. But yeah and the um and then there's a but there's been a whole ton of companies that have followed that it's very much been a business model a marketing model um without a strong product to back it yeah so those products if you're going out and convincing people based on a marketing plan that this is an incredible product um but it's not that good then that's where the industry has gotten into trouble Right. And, and you see that from the trouble that they've gotten into and the reputation that they have. But if you can plug in a product that actually helps and there's a few companies that are out there doing this well, um, a very quality product that is not overpriced, that you can't get somebody else, somewhere else for less, then um, you have a very effective way of getting that word out with exogenous ketones. And I, and I think this company, it's um, it's, you know, taken to a new level because this type of education really does lead to like a true long-term health plan. That's not about taking pills and potions all day long. Exogenous ketones, like we always say is a tool. It's a lever. It's a very effective lever in helping people make long-term health change yeah. and also opening their minds to learning about what I learned about, you know, a decade ago, real food. Yeah. And it's the most effective tool that I've ever seen come on the market. So, um, but, you know, still out there, there's going to be people that probably, um, you know, push too hard with the products, anything like that. I mean, I think that I, I know what we're working together on is to gather that group of professionals, of people in the health and wellness world, 
that really give a shit about making a real um, long-term change, about having a, a big impact and expanding out the amount of people that we can reach, gathering all those people together so they can be the voice. And then teaching, you know, all the people that don't have the training, like the moms and the, you know, just even the weekend warriors of the athletes out there that would also like to take advantage and share this with people, teaching them to just being megaphones behind you yeah. and Dom Diagostino and Dr. Mary Newport and just get their research out there and the real stuff. And again, let people decide for themselves. Well, that's the key. And I think, um, you know, I, I've never been a, a good company man, so to speak. You know, I, I wouldn't have been one of the good employees at Big Blue back in the 50s. Um, you know, from being kicked out of high school through to being kicked out of nutrition class at university, uh, I've certainly had many times where I've been very contrary. And I, I think that's been a strength because I'm always looking around for, you know, for things that are interesting, that are maybe outside the norm, but also not just prepared to take things at, at face value or for what someone says. So I've been very open with you that as other products have entered the market, I've tried them. And the interesting thing is just when I expect for something else to come along, it, it hasn't lived up to the claims. And I've obviously just used, you know, the prove it product exclusively in my clinical practice. And again, anyone listening in thinking I'm just some paid shill or something, I'm not, I, I wish I was, I wish I was making millions of dollars out of the stuff. I, I don't, I just basically use the product that I use because I dig it. I, I get the best results out of it. It doesn't make me run to the bathroom and I see the best results with my patients, right? So it, it's that simple. Now, if people are going to, to judge that and say, oh, well, you're basically just hawking product, that's not the case at all because I could easily go without any product if there was no need for it and that's not where my bread and butter is my bread and butter is from doing stuff like this creating content writing books giving advice giving lectures so it's really not you know a, a massive part necessarily of my remuneration it's more so that it's just the product that i dig and that's really surprised me because i would have expected there to be some major disruption but the the companies that are doing a good job seem to be one step ahead of the rest at the moment is that fair yeah i mean the this they definitely definitely like everything else on the market is a version of the original formula that um that the original keto os formula the ketone operating system um and so all those products and this comes from you know basically economies of scale yep. beta hydroxybutyrate as an ingredient wasn't even around back then one company brought it out, put the money into it, and then became you know, the largest distributor of it in the world. As they grew and had more money to dump into research and development, they could further the, uh, the science on it. And now, you know, just like many things like you know, an Uber and, and Lyft, right? Or you know, um, you know, they, are the, they own the marketplace. And so yeah. they have continued to kind of advance the formulas. And as we, you know, we talked about, they went from the they were the first one to then come out with the bioidentical ketone to get rid of the uh, L isomer um, and go with just the the D or the R, um, and uh, and then they found a way to uh, create it through a fermentation process, so they could stop the use of the chemicals and uh, and only create it that way, and so they brought that out. And so that's that's a really good thing to bring up because again, I as you know, I start to feel reluctant when I'm talking about product because you know I don't want to be seen as being a product guy or a product agnostic. But that's one of the biggest things for me is that it, it uses 100% of that deform beta hydroxybutyrate. Now, some people have suggested that that's not that important. My position on that is. I don't want to take the risk because, you know, we, we've seen with things like, um, you know, the best example of that is synthetic folic acid, teromonoglutamate versus the methylated folate, which is the naturally occurring form in the body. There's enough emerging evidence that we wouldn't want to take the risk of taking in the long-term synthetic folic acid, right? Because of all those signaling properties and things. Now, given that beta-hydroxybutyrate is not just a fuel, it also has molecular signaling properties through the body for a range of things. I don't think it's worth taking the risk. And now 
with the new the newer versions that are coming out of exogenous ketones to me they're, they're just getting now you tell me if i'm wrong here but it seems like they're getting stronger and stronger and you're getting really big boosts of ketones compared to say the first versions that were out there and so you're getting for basically the same price as a couple of years ago a, a remarkably superior product and that just continues to to progress yeah no exactly and they've they've continued to up their game i think we were talking about the other day like they split uh switched to a, a methylated b12 um they um continually i mean they they went out and bought Optogenics, the creators of AC11 or CMED100, when they had proven that it repairs DNA, and now that's just an ingredient in all of their ketone products. So they've gone and not only found a better way to uh, actually uh, process the uh, the ketone, but also to have ingredients in there that synergistically work alongside of it, and also like apparently because we are seeing such good results apparently are, you know, making those results more powerful. So this halo effect around um, all these different ingredients that are working together to make it better than what other people are coming out with. Yeah, and, and that's sort of, some of that stuff is what I alluded to earlier in that, you know, we, we can take certain things. You can take a truckload of caffeine before a workout and get a great workout. Now, yeah. it's just caffeine. It's just stimulating you. There's not much other benefit unless you have it in coffee form and there's all the, you know, cool polyphenols and things that are doing all the antioxidant stuff that leads to improved health outcomes. But apart from that, if you're just taking a big whack of caffeine, you're just getting a big whack of caffeine. Whereas with some of these interesting things coming out, like, you know, your exogenous ketones, your um, cat's glory extracts, like you see me at 100, uh, some of the other interesting things that are beginning to put in products, but also other other things outside of the ketone space like the the real reinvestigation now of medicinal mushrooms and various herbs and things you're seeing really interesting stuff that when i studied 22 odd years ago you would have thought was impossible you know when we studied we were still told that neurons do not repair they don't regrow basically if you destroy a neuron it's gone Whereas now we know that we've got things like exogenous ketones, which can help the body to regrow neurons. You've got things like, um, you know, cat's claw extracts like CMED100, which help to protect DNA. You've got things like, and also encourage neural repair as well. You've got things like lion's mane mushroom, which as you know, I'm a big fan of, which is proven to increase neurogenitive factor. So it's helping to regrow nerve tissue as well. So this is the kind of stuff where we've got such massive long-term potential for the, the, the things that scare us the most, like neurodegenerative disorders. You know, when I poll my clients, probably the biggest fear they have now, 20 years ago, it was be, of being overweight. They didn't want to look big, right? Now people are worried about how much energy am I going to have? And is my brain going to last? Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but it's a really cool health focus that I think we're starting to see. Well, and thank you know, thank God somebody sh you know shared this with me because when you see the results that I had with uh, brain function, right? Even from a healthy but very carbful diet, even though it would probably be considered a a lower carb diet uh, and a healthier carb diet than most people had, I still was in a daydream basically. Yeah. Compared to what I am now, discovering ketones. And so, you know, and then you introduced to me lion's mane and it's, you know, changed my coffee consumption ever since. And, uh, uh, and so all these things, you know, are starting to pile up and that's or a very interesting conversation with Dr. Ken Ford, who is the ex chairman of NASA talking about the next 15 years, we are going to see such advances in this now that they have identified, you know, that just about everything in the body is just signals on and off. Yeah. No, I think you've probably, you, you've mentioned a few people thus far, people like, um, you know, Angela Poff, Dom D'Agostino, uh, Steve Finney, Jeff Volick, a, a bunch of those amazing people in the, the health space who have been really some of the foundational researchers in, in low carbon keto. But you've obviously, you know, what you do transcends just being in, a supplement business you know you you have a successful thriving content marketing business basically so in line with that who are 
And I think I just lost Joe periodically. So we'll see if we can get him back. I was about to ask him a very exciting question. Crazy, it just kicked me off for a second. Maybe the hour. And you're back, Joe. Yeah, yeah, just kicked me off. I thought maybe it was uh, I was only allowed an hour. I talked too long. No, no, you, you're allowed as much time as you want. <laughs> I was in the middle of um, pumping you up and saying you've got a very successful content marketing business. And what are some of your sort of go-to resources, whether it's books or, or people that you follow who are outside of the health space? Like who do you get inspiration from for, for business and for life and for balance in general? Oh, look, I, you know, I love uh, not only Tony Robbins stuff, but just from, uh, you know, getting more out of your life type of uh, space, but also his business partner that a lot of people don't know, um, Joseph McLennan the third. He's written a number of different books, like recent one, like Get Happy. Um, and okay. just about, I, I like to bring it back to simple things. So like, I mean, I probably talked to you about this before, but two of my favorite personal development books are, um, the energy bus from John Gordon uh, and um, and Scott Alexander, um, who wrote Rhino Success. And All right, yeah. I cannot recommend these books enough because I like um, I like, again, dealing with things that help the masses and help make have help them take small steps towards it. I mean, yeah. you know, everything else from, uh, you know, uh, Think and Grow Rich to, you know, all these other uh, different books. But I think you go on a progression of them. Um, I mean, certainly, though, you know, the the amazing things that I've seen that are happening is and this was, you know, probably this as well. But I, I was introduced to this by Tim Ferriss interviewing Dom DiAgostino. And then yeah. one of the best things I've ever seen is Joe Rogan interviewing Dom DiAgostino. And when you start to hear, I don't know if you've seen that podcast, but it's a three hour marathon. But it is just mind blowing about the research that's going on behind this. Yeah. So I guess where I'm finding inspiration now is is this um, meshing between like mainstream um, media and like we've made science cool. Yeah. Right. From Dave Asprey to, um, you know, to now moving into this thing where you got this like Don Diagostino, even though he can deadlift 500 pounds after a seven day fast, like he's a super nerd. <laughs> if you ever heard this guy talk, he's he's a massive, massive scientific nerd, but he's we've made him into a rock star. And and that's a movement that's occurring. You know, you've got people who are legitimate researchers, you know, nutritional scientists or exercise physiology scientists who are weapons, you know, like Eric Helms is a great example. I know, you know, he's one of my best mates. He's a great guy. He can deadlift, Olympic lift with the best of them, you know, and, and he's a legit protein researcher. Uh, you've got guys like Brett Contreras, like Dom Diagostino, all those guys, you know, and it's it's really cool to see that there is a bit of a renaissance, I think, in terms of physical culture. So it's not just about having the brain and the the, the nerdy stuff and getting your pencil out. Um, you know, you also have to be living that as well. And I think that's a, a great movement because even with all the data in the world, I think there's got to be some some talk behind the walk. Yeah, and look, we need that strength, right? We need that strength right now because it is. I mean, we've still got, you know, you give... Listen, you can uh, you can talk about uh, ketosis or exogenous ketones to people all day long, and they will still walk into their GP, and um, and the GP a lot of times is going to say, "Oh, that's ketoacidosis. That's bad, right?" Yeah. And and nothing against them. It's just that's the knowledge base that's out there right now. So that and the fact that we're still seeing articles out there about coconut oil being poison and all this kind of stuff that's out there. And look, we got to make it cool, right? In the same way, like you know, sugar has way cooler advertising than the old way that we um, taught people about health. Yeah. Right. Coca-Cola, Gatorade, like that's way cooler than, you know, the actual healthy stuff. So now that we're making it cool again, I think we got a shot. Yeah. And I think the, um, the, the, the there are problems inherent within anything, but I think with the, the reappreciation, I hope of, of science and scientists, I think we're going to see, um, you know, hopefully a better transmission of that, that research and that really good information out to the masses as well, because we're starting, you know, I've had a lot of discussions with people in academia about this. There's no point writing a scientific paper, which is read by six people. And I read an article where they reckon that was something like the average is about six people read an article. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, and our, our latest 
paper, I think it's been out for about two weeks, has been read now by 7,000 people. Yeah. It, it's, and it will continue to grow because there is this awareness there, but it's also about the media that we use to, to get the information out there. And you need the younger, savvier people who are actually talking the walk as well uh, to get that out there. Yeah, like, you know, and, um, and as long as we have people like you and as long as we continue to grow that group, right, that are taking, because even to me, like, you know, I can, I love a good scientific study, but if you take that scientific study and explain to people in very simple terms why that's going to give them better, uh, you know, energy, focus, fat loss, mood and sleep, these underlying things that mean real health, then that's going to get more people um, viewing them. And, and that's what I know that you're great at doing and what I love, right? And you know, anytime you uh, put out a study, like we immediately put it in front of 50,000 people in a Facebook group. Yeah. And say, holy shit, look at this, right? Further evidence about why, you know, why you're feeling so good. And I'll leave you with one more thing as well. There is also, there's a problem with scientific literature in that it can only say so much. Mm. And that's important because we obviously need to make sure that what we're putting out is very it needs to be somewhat equivocal because there's no answer from any one paper. However, the researchers behind that paper might be connecting the dots between different research that they've done or different research that is out there, or even things that they're seeing in the data that they can't really come out and say, well, this is exactly what's happening, but they can have a pretty strong hunch that certain things are occurring. And in talking with those scientists or by reading maybe their lay summaries or looking at their video explainers or having them on podcasts and things, you start to get a, a broader picture of what's actually going on. Because for most people as well, a scientific paper is somewhat indecipherable. Hmm. Yeah. Completely. And look, and I, and I would love to, and that's kind of when you talk about the content that I put out, I'd love for anybody to come on and uh, and if they've got something they feel passionate about that's evidence back to kind of interview them and get that word out to as many people as we possibly can. And as you, I know, like, you know, the more practitioners that we talk to that are utilizing these, you know, products like exogenous ketones and exogenous ketones to drive patient outcomes, the, you know, we're creating, we're taking, it's almost like levels, like the top researchers in the world now working with those, uh, those integrated health practitioners um, so that we can then, then they can be the strength behind all these people all over Australia, you know, in Asia, everywhere that exogenous ketones are hitting. And that yeah. it is, it's creating an army of people out there that are singing the praises of carb appropriate life. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to tie it up. Joe, you've done a better job than me of, of wrapping up that cast. Stop. <laughs> Mate, I could talk to you for, for hours, and I know that we will have many more conversations in the coming months and years. But thank you so much for being on the Carb Appropriate Podcast today. Absolute pleasure, buddy. And seriously, thank you uh, for all you're doing to get all this info and for jumping on my podcast every time that I ask. My pleasure, mate. So I'll have to get you back on because I really want to keep drilling down, particularly into some of the business concepts that you've developed as well, because I think a lot of our health practitioner audience will get a lot out of that too. So uh, we'll have to do this again soon. And I know that I will be chatting with you very soon on your webinars as well. So if everyone can just make sure they stay in the loop, follow me on Facebook, uh, make sure you connect with the various pages that Joe is part of on Facebook as well. And we'll have all the details for that stuff on our show notes. So thanks, Joe. We'll close it off now, and I will talk again with you soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, buddy. See you. That was the Carb Appropriate Podcast with me, Cliff Harvey. If you'd like to watch the live recording of the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Cliff Harvey. Find out about me and what I do at cliffharvey.com and make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all popular podcast channels and to our YouTube channel at holisticperformance.tv.